I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. We've got three stories from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. Today you'll learn about why artificial intelligence might get depressed, why you should leave your phone out of the bedroom, <clears throat> Ashley, and where you get tetanus. Spoiler alert, it's not from Rust. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Cody, have you ever wondered if artificial intelligence actually like feels feelings? You mean do androids dream of electric sheep? Exactly. Well, Curiosity is a great place to follow the constantly evolving world of artificial intelligence. And today we researched a really interesting concept. Some experts think that in order to really think like humans, AI systems will need the ability to experience depression. Depression? Yeah. Well, first, let's talk about how depression works in humans. This is a major oversimplification, but basically the main suspect behind depression in humans is the neurotransmitter serotonin. You've probably heard of that. Right. A deficiency in serotonin is linked to symptoms of depression like lethargy, apathy, mood swings, and sadness. But serotonin isn't just a happy, sad hormone. It plays a role in lots of brain functions, sleeping, eating, motor activity, even the learning process. And that's the key here. Artificial intelligence is essentially a learning machine, right? Engineers feed AI systems a bunch of data and the AI learns by example. Like they might show pictures of dogs labeled with their breeds to teach an AI to identify an unknown dog's breed. Now, you might call serotonin a neuromodulator, which is a special kind of neurotransmitter that quickly sends information to lots of parts of your brain. Engineers see neuromodulators as kind of like control knobs, similar to the ones that they use in AI. And one important knob is the learning rate. Sometimes you need to increase your learning rate, like say if you're traveling abroad and your usual model of the world is out of date and you need to adapt to the new situation. AI will need to adapt like this too. So like we're not going to program AI with some sort of e-serotonin. The idea is whatever we do build to help AI learn might be similar to serotonin and that might lead to side effects just like human serotonin. Got it. And if you want to get philosophical, there's one more component to this. A lecturer at College London in the UK said that if an AI system gets depressed, then by definition, that means the system is conscious. And if a conscious being can get a mental illness, then it's humane to treat them, right? But if we just reprogram or switch out hardware, then we might fundamentally change the AI machine, not to mention medical care requires informed consent. So would we even be able to program AI to fully understand the risks involved in a medical procedure? This is a really slippery slope. Yeah, just thinking about AI and the robot apocalypse is enough to just make you stare off into the distance for a while. <laughs> yeah, so artificial intelligence could experience depression and that leads everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Well, you can read more about the specifics of this on curiosity.com. Great write-up. All right, Ashley, we need to talk about your phone habits at home. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we've been talking about this a little bit outside of the podcast. We've alluded to this on the podcast. Yeah, that's right. And you keep your phone in your bedroom, right? I do. I keep it right next to my bed, right next to my pillow. <laughs> I, I read it until the very moment that I turn off the light to go to sleep. All right. Well, today, Curiosity wrote about a new study, and we've got some really bad news if you're addicted to your phone. Oh, no. Participants in this study who kept their smartphones out of the bedroom for one week showed a marked improvement in their happiness and overall quality of life. Wow. I'm not done. They also showed fewer signs of smartphone addiction. Plus, many of the participants reported that they slept better, experienced less anxiety, and improved their relationships. 
More than 90% of the participants who did this said they might keep it up. I can't imagine being a person that would say they would keep it up because I can't imagine being a person that would even do that. Okay, so I do have a suggestion for breaking the habit. Okay. And I learned in college that when you change a habit, you have to replace it with something, right? So you can't just stop doing a thing without replacing it with something. Sure. Obviously, you can swap out your phone for a book. It turns out that when you sleep after you learn something new, you're able to remember it better later anyway. So if you're reading a nonfiction book or a philosophy book, then your brain's going to process that more, which is really cool. Here's another life hack on a more personal level. My wife realizes that I'm really into gadgets So, like, I like my Nintendo Switch, and I like my gaming PCs, and I just like techie stuff, so she got me an e-reader. She got me a Kindle. Now I've got a gadget I can bring to bed. Oh. Right. But at the same time, I'm also reading a book, so it's kind of like cheating. So if you at home are sleeping with someone who's tech-obsessed like me, then get them an e-reader, and it'll even let you read in the dark, depending on the model, like if it's got a backlight. Just don't use a tablet. Anything that emits blue light will actually disturb your sleep. Right. Well, there's a couple suggestions. Do you have an e-reader? I don't. You know, I've been wanting to read more books and I use my phone too much. It seems like a simple fix. (laughs) I'll do it. I'm saying it right now on the podcast. I'm going to leave my phone out of my room when I sleep for the next week. All right. We'll check back in a week or two. All right. Hey, Cody, are you up to date on your tetanus shot? Yes, I'm good. My last tetanus shot was seven years ago. The Center for Disease Control generally recommends one every 10 years for adults, though ask your doctor to make sure because there can be variations. And this podcast is not medical advice. So please check with your doctor. And we can't protect you from rusty nails. Well, that's fine because rust doesn't actually cause tetanus. What? Yeah, I was surprised too. Tetanus is caused by a bacteria called Clostridium tetany. And you can find that in soil, dust, and feces. If you get cut by something that's been exposed to any of those things, regardless of whether there's rust on it, you might get infected with tetanus. Nails are a common way to get infected because C. tetany thrives in an oxygen-deprived setting like the one far beneath your skin's surface. But you might get tetanus from any injury that breaks the skin, from a dog bite to a safety pin. Wow. Yeah. And tetanus can be severe or even fatal, so make sure you're up to date on your vaccines. C-tetany releases a powerful neurotoxin called tetanospasmin that can cause muscle stiffness and convulsive spasms that usually begin in the jaw. That's where the nickname lockjaw comes from. Gotcha. So go see your doctor. Yeah, make sure that you're up on your vaccines. You can read more about this and all of the stories we talked about today, plus so much more on Curiosity.com and on the Curiosity app for Android or iOS. Join us again tomorrow for the Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.